over the bar for inspection. Shepley. The staff at the Seven Stars are used to it. Yes, they'll say patiently, it means Shepherd's Meadow, of which Shipley, they believe, is a corruption, going back further than anyone cares to remember. I knew the pub in its heyday, the fifties, and even now it is the thing for which the village is best known with a long-standing reputation for its stillage and its steak-and-kidney pie. Ask for the seven stars, visitors are told, should they get lost in the lanes. Many of the cottages in the village still belong to the estate, tiny two-up, two-downs, inhabited by the last generation of estate workers or widows of the same. All the old shops, the post office, the grocer, the forge, the cobbler, are private homes now, most lived in by members of the same few extended families. There is a converted stable, a holiday home that has been shut up for the last two years. The only other unclaimed residence is the flat attached to the pub, generally reserved for members of the staff on short-term let. There was once a school. I was briefly at the school, but after the war it closed for lack of numbers and was converted into an echoey village hall. These days, for every wedding at St. John's, there are a dozen or more funerals. Death comes with little fanfare or surprise. In fact, at the teas afterwards, where store is set by a decent spread of sandwiches, it is not unusual to hear sanguine discussion about who might be next. How easy it is to bury and become buried. We are sleepy, hidden, an unremarkable valley somewhere between Exmoor and Dartmoor. I imagine it is quite possible to find, as I used to, pockets of unexplored land, forgotten about copses and bogs, uncharted loops of the river. The lanes around here are as arbitrary, Deep, meandering gullies to nowhere in particular. A cottage incidentally tucked. Roof shot, crumbling walls, iron grate long ago rested from its hearth. Godforsaken, middle of nowhere, is how the van drivers put it, ringing in, if they can get a signal, for help. So, naturally, when the boy and his mother turned up in the village, she'd taken work at the pub, They were met with a degree of curiosity. It was nice, apart from anything else, to see fresh faces. The boys started at Buckley School after the Christmas holidays. The bus had to make a special trip in order to pick him up and drop him off. I have a view of the bus stop from my window and was able to watch out for him. In the dark afternoons it was hard to see clearly except to note that he was a scrawny little thing, all over the place with his bits and bobs. Usually his mother waited for him at the shelter, hugged him as he stepped down from the bus, but once or twice I watched him walk home alone, no distance, trudging up around the back of the war memorial and along the side of the green to the pub and the flat's private entrance. A week or so later there was still an inch or two of snow on the ground. I was at the window, watching. The bus drew up, then pulled away. He was so quick. At first I thought I must have missed him. 
My eyes aren't so good now. But then I began to doubt myself. Although it was bitterly cold, I felt the need to be sure. I pulled on a coat, a hat, and set out with the torch to have a look, just in case. The path was treacherous, and I took tiny steps. The torch made a feeble circle in the snow. The grass crunched and crackled underfoot. I shone the failing light towards the railings of the memorial, enough to recognise that the gate was ajar. And then I heard him, the juddery hiccups of his breathing. I ventured closer, until I could just make out his shape, hunched up in a little mound, his head buried in his knees. "'Hello,' I said nervously, keeping the railings between us. His shoulders stiffened. He repositioned himself, his face turning towards me, pale as the snow. Are you all...